Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hello there, and welcome again. We, um, I am delighted to report, have our first educators panel of the year today. We had a uh, holiday, I believe, on the first Monday of September, so that pushed us back to the first Monday of October. But here we are. And I am uh, ecstatic. These are often among my favorite programs. I'm sure this year will be no different. We've had a few lineup changes. Um, Hopefully they'll work out better than they did for the Boston Red Sox this year. But we'll find out. Um, uh, Back by popular demand is one of our um, educators' panel members from last year, and that's Tom Ambrose, who is a principal up in Freeport, Maine. Tom, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be here. And we have uh, two new members of the educators panel. Uh, Carol Davison is a principal who I interviewed on a uh, collaborative problem-solving at school program last year and cannot tell you how many rave reviews I got from people who said you gotta she's gotta be on the educators panel. And um of course on this program your wish is my command. So Carol, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I didn't know that and I had such a following already. You <laughs> You do. I can vouch for that. Um and another new member comes to us from um South Berwick, Maine, Nina DeAaron, who's a school counselor there. And I know Nina because of the collaborative problem solving that's being implemented in her building. Nina, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I am delighted to have all three of you here. And I think that um, we're going to start off. We, We don't, Nina and Carol may not know this, we don't usually get many calls on this program. Um, This program is usually full up between the educators panel and any town high school. And I also want to remind people just down the line that um, next week is Columbus Day on Monday in the United States and Thanksgiving in Canada. So there will be no collaborative problem solving at school next Monday. But then we'll be back again. The two subsequent weeks are any town weeks, and we may get in 
I don't remember. I don't think we're going to get in a, a program where I can just answer emails and other questions before our next educators panel. So we got quite the lineup moving forward. Tell me, all three of you, one at a time, of course, how are things going in your buildings here at the beginning of the year, and how is it going with collaborative problem-solving here in the beginning of the year? Um, Carol, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, well, as you know, it's my last year was my first year as a principal and my first year in my school, so there was some work being done throughout the year, basically, of, of kind of letting people know what I believe about working with challenging kids and, you know, starting to spread the the word a little bit about about why I believe collaborative problem solving works and, and actually trying to put it into place. This year being my second year and having very little staff turnover, um, I've been finding it a little bit easier in some respects. Um, people already know what to expect when they're referring a student for assistance with their behavior to the office. Um, and it, I haven't felt like there's that big hurdle to, to get over to um, to get people to understand a little bit about, about who I am and what I do. Um, I also uh, gifted several teachers with copies of the book over the summer to kind of take a look at and, and read at their leisure. And uh, and a few of them, I think, are starting to, to get into it themselves. And just, you know, it's just that incremental little bit of a mind shift. So that's how uh, I'm feeling positively in terms of, of how CPS is going for us in our school this year. Great. Um, often people who become enthusiastic about collaborative problem solving lose sight of the incremental part mm -hmm. and their enthusiasm causes them to want this all to happen in one fell swoop. Yep. And uh, one fell swoop culture changes and changes in <laughs> practice and changes in timing don't happen in systems and schools are systems, school systems are systems Individual schools are systems. Um, I'll ask you in a few minutes how you're handling, although it sounds like you've given us a hint already, how you're handling approaching staff who you're thinking may not be coming along as rapidly as you might hope. But that might not be who you gave the books to. We'll get <laughs> to say that they are. But, um, Tom, how's things going at uh, your school at the beginning of the year here? And collaborative problem solving in specific, general as well? I think we're off to a great start. It, it we, um, we are past the initial exposure to collaborative problem solving phase where everyone's kind of getting their feet wet, trying it out, reading the book, having conversations about collaborative problem solving and or some training. Uh, I'm finding that as I build capacity with specific skills, people are getting better results, and that's kind of growing um, a positive buzz in the building about the process. We had some real great experiences last year. It was the first year using collaborative problem solving, and so I've been able to already capitalize on those uh, experiences. I think it, it is really clear to me now how important the principal's knowledge and expertise and expectations around collaborative problem solving, how important that is to have it be um, be a, a building-wide uh, program or event or um, the process that's just ingrained in the culture of the school. Outstanding. So you are. This is your second school in which you are trying to get collaborative problem solving going. You were quite successful at it in your first. Um, so you are a uh, veteran, I would say. Yes. 
Yeah, it, it has been incredible. Uh, well, I think I shared this last year. It's the first 12 months, uh, even with a master's in guidance and a lot of experience working with Iris children, it, it took me a while to get the model down, and now it's just become totally intuitive. And in fact, I find myself using it personally even with adults and parents, not just with kids. And it's just kind of starting to become subconscious to, to empathize and then state my concern and then, and then offer to find a solution that be, meets both people's needs or concerns. Um, and it just, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that curve with the skill is over for me personally, which makes a big difference. I had a, a person say to me the other day, well, that, you know, that collaborative problem solving isn't for, it's, it's not really for this kid. This kid's too tough. And I said, no, 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 wait. Collaborative problem solving is for everyone, and it works best when a kid is really struggling with lagging skills and unsolved problems. You just have to slow it down and fix one at a time together. You know, um, professional football players, and I, of course, this does not make any sense to me from a professional football lever, but level because I've never played organized football of any sort. But professional football players often say when they're going from the college game of football to the pro game of football, I think I mentioned this on a program last year, that um, in the pros, the game is much faster. And they have to sort of master the technicalities early on until, and here's what they always say, until the game slows down for them. A lot of people who are new to Plan B are so focused on the steps and the ingredients that are contained within each step and how to do each of the ingredients that are contained within each step and the different things they need to be thinking about within each step that um, the game is technical for them early on. But then they all say, but then I started feeling more comfortable with it and stuck with it and to put it in the same parlance as football players, the Plan B game started slowing down for me, and I was able to actually feel like I had mastery of the technicalities so that I could actually think about what was going on in front of me. And then, you know, you're there. Nina, how's things going in your school this year and with collaborative problem solving in particular? Yeah, we, things are going very well. We're we're really at an exciting phase. Um, we've been working with, with Kim Bordel since um, February with the grant. So we really have a core group of people who feel very comfortable um, with the philosophy and with just listening to, to different case studies and listening um, and practicing as well, actually using Plan B. And now, since we're starting the school year, our entire staff is going, Kim's coming to talk to our whole staff tomorrow, and everybody is a real positive um, thing for everyone, and everyone's really looking forward to hearing from her as well. And uh, now that we've been using the model for for about for a year last year as well, um, we have kids kids that are coming in, and we really they have the same skills with different problems. And we're trying to figure out figure it out for everybody as well as using all the knowledge we have of the children from from last year. And as um, Tom was saying, we have a lot of people that have seen success. I think is really keeping the movement movement going as well, and it, it's a slow change. But that was the that was the important part is taking this slow and starting with 
started with people that went to to the trainings and um, really had a good sense, and now we're at that point where we want everyone to hear the message and not necessarily just from us, from hearing it from Kim. It'll be powerful and um, no, nothing that we're going to drop, that we'll just move right on and keep talking about it and keep planning for how to change more systems. So we're excited. Now, uh, you and Tom are both the, the Kim who you're talking about is um, – yep the Kim who is part of a project that has collaborative problem solving being implemented in 14 different schools in Maine um, as part of funding that um, I've received from the Juvenile Justice Advisory Group in Maine, which has always been extremely supportive of helping people learn how to do collaborative problem solving in Maine, not just in the schools but in the juvenile detention system. Um, What's amazing is Carol, your school, except for one talk of mine that you've been to, maybe two, your school has had no um, grant to tap into, no um, special training. No. Um, How is it that you are managing to do this without special training? How do you do that? Well, it's it's all very grassroots. I mean, I I stumbled across the book a few years ago myself when um, you know I was I was a vice principal and we just had some kids that it's exactly the title of the book. The kids were falling through the, through the cracks, and we knew that the continued suspensions and detentions and things weren't working. And so we were trying to find out, you know, what else can we do? Um, so it just resonated with me personally so much that I just started doing it. And, you know, it's kind of like you were talking about, um, you know, learning to do it. At first you are kind of thinking about the technicalities, but, you know, I, I visited your website and I watched the videos and, and just it really seemed to come naturally because it's just such a a humanistic way of, of working with people. And um, so then, you know, my the principal I was working with, became interested as well. She's since moved to another school and she's brought the book in with her staff and they've done their own kind of discussion groups around it. I now have a principal from another school who's called me and said, I understand that you're, uh, you know, you went to a workshop with Dr. Green and, you know, I'd really love to see about, they have a, her school has a segregated special support program um, for students with exceptionally challenging behavior. And so she was hoping that it's something that the teacher and the child care worker that work in that classroom could begin to use as a as a way of, of helping students learn the skills so that they don't need to be in the program. Um, so it's just all been very, you know, grassroots, organic, word of mouth. Um, for me, like I said, it just fits so well with my philosophy of kids. I've never been, um, you know, a, 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 a hammer punisher <laughs> type of person in my own family or with my own classrooms as a teacher or as an administrator. So it just, not only did it just resonate with me as this makes sense, but in actually doing it with kids, it just works so well. It's so simple to get kids on your side rather than always being at odds. And once you're on the same side, it's incredible how willing kids are to to work with you because they, like, you, you know, I'm going to, you know, be quoting things from the book, but, you know, they they know that what they're doing isn't the the way to solve their problem, but they don't know what else to do. So by coming on the same side as you, suddenly they feel like they have this incredible ally, someone with, you know, maybe power and with skills and with the resources to help them solve this problem. And it's just such a relief for them that they don't have to be fighting this battle alone. 
Well, what do you say, this is for all three of you, before we turn to, there's two things that I wanted to try covering a little bit today, although this will go wherever it goes. <laughs> um, number one, how you help teachers who are struggling. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've begun staying away from the word resistance because I think that that has a connotation to it that may not really be accurate. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm resistant to the word resistance at this point. But... Um, and, and I also wanted to talk a little bit about what you all are doing to um, try to make this such a integrated part of business as usual in your buildings. Mm-hmm. And that's usually one of the latter phases of implementing collaborative problem solving, although it is um, something to think about early on uh, whenever I'm working with a school or working with people who are working with a school I'm always encouraging them to think about how they're going to concretize this and memorialize it in the sort of everyday business of the building. Um, so those are two other things we could be talking about today. We'll see how we do on time. My, my question is, um, and I brought this up in one of the first programs of the year, um, what do you say to teachers who say, um, I can't do a plan B with every kid in my class? Because this came up in uh, the first program um, with a comment that had been made that um, uh, don't do this if you're not planning on doing this with every single kid in the classroom. And of course, that would be overwhelming, but I'm sort of curious about how each of you would respond to that comment. Is it a free-for-all? It's a free-for-all. <laughs> we all just always, that's okay. part of this program. It's, <laughs> It's, it's a dog eat dog on this program. Okay. <laughs> oh. Well, I think I would say that it doesn't. Not every kid in your class needs it to begin with. Um, you know, there are kids who just explaining expectations and boundaries within the classroom is enough for them. They have the skills to work within that framework, and and they're going to be okay. Um, but there are those kids that, that don't have the skills, and so those are the kids you need to start with. And so normally when I'm working with a teacher and they're, you know, they're feeling overwhelmed with, you know, well, yeah, this is going to be a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of time, yeah, a couple things that I do, first of all, is let's, we, we discuss, you know, well, let's pick one student with one concern that you have, and let's start there. And the other thing that I often offer to do is because, you know, they, it's, it's difficult for teachers to find the time. They feel like they need a good chunk of time to go through the process, especially if they're just beginning because they might need to go back and redo, you know, dig for more information, is I offer to take the class for them while they meet with a student. So, you know, I'll go in and, and just relieve them for 20 minutes, half an hour, and they can have the time to work with a student. Um, and that, that shows the support, but it also gives them that critical amount of time to, to do the process with the kids. I, uh, I agree. Go ahead, Nina. Go ahead, Nina. I agree. Another thing that we've been doing is modeling Plan B with. So I would I would go in with a teacher, and our principal has been amazing about also covering for our staff or uh, members of our student assistance team covers, so that we can model Plan B um, with with a with the teacher who's part of the unsolved problem, which shows about the time it takes, but also um, gives them a feeling of success and part. Of Part of the solution, and I agree also that we talk a lot about that. You don't need to do a plan B with every with every child, but it's just a way of thinking. And if you can move more towards plan B and less A, that that was our goal last year, and that continues to be the goal for for teachers. That this is brand new and um, just a way, a way of 
the way of thinking and changing our lenses. We've talked about a variety of ways to, to implement collaborative problem solving, and what I said is um, to start things off this year, because we'd already had time with Kim in the grant, and all of my staff have read the book, and, and all of my schools, the entire staff is except for three or four people are attending uh, actually a workshop with Ross this coming Friday. Um, what I did was I kind of front-loaded a lot of professional development around the model, but they, um, they were asking me when. When do we do this? How do we do that? And so we started to strategize, and I offered a palette of six, five, six different ways to get time to do collaborative problem solving. And then I set an expectation. I said, I expect everyone to do this for 15 minutes three times a week and you only have to do it with one or two kids in your class, and then if things don't go well, all you have to do is let us know, and somebody from the CPS or the school culture committee will work with you to um, support you in doing collaborative problem solving. And what I said to my staff is all you need to grow with collaborative problem solving is two people who basically understand the model, one who's working with the child, and one who can be objective and not emotionally involved to support the other person in in thinking clearly about the child. So two minds are better than one type of thing. Um, and then I made it so that the, uh, uh, worked with my SAT team, the, the ALSUP and the, um, and the uh, Plan B flowchart are now an expected part of our SAT referral form. So when people come to the SAT, they um, will either have the ALSUP filled out when they get there, or sometimes if it's somebody who's struggling, we'll work through it with them and support them right in the SAT meeting which is our student assistance team. So what we're doing is we're trying to build an expectation in the culture that collaborative problem solving is occurring by first giving everyone the skills to do it and then providing um, an expectation that we'll do it as a school and uh, opportunities to do it by giving support when people need time to meet with kids. I'd say that at right now it's been planned and it's in the quasi, there are some people doing it pretty well and some people who aren't doing it yet. So we're 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 kind of right at the cusp of really moving toward whole school implementation. Did you say something about a school culture committee? Yeah, we just we we called our school a school our team a school culture committee. Because we wanted to shift the lens in the culture of the building around working with students. Nice. It's fun. They, they love it. It they, I have a really good group of people in this building. I'm really lucky, so the lens hasn't been as difficult as it could be in some organizations. Is that separate from your SAT team? It is. The school culture committee meets after school on Wednesday nights, uh, one one Wednesday a month. Oh, great. Um, but the SAT team meets every week on Thursday morning. Yep. And we felt the same way about SAT. and just really realized after going to Ross's trainings that we're leaving out the most important part of planning um, the action plan was the student. So that this made so much more sense um, than spending a lot of time as an SAT team trying to figure out what was going on with the ch child and what would be best for solutions. So it's a natural, I think, a natural switch to incorporate this into SAT. Well, I've been struggling, too, with um, now that I, as Ross was saying, I kind of moved from college to pro football mode uh, with with the model, but then what I've realized is happening is now that now that the structure is kind of embedded for me personally, the creativity is starting to kick in. So I had this kid the other day that was struggling, and I, I kept saying, I'm really actually stuck with this kid because I can't get him to bring his concern to the table. He knows I'm willing to work with him. He knows that I support him, and he knows that we care about him. But he's not articulating his concern, 
and so this really, really brilliant ed tech in my building, she's wonderful, she said, I'm going to make up some little cards with all the different things that go on in the day and let them stack them up in piles. Love it, can't stand it, can live with it, and don't ever want to do it again or something like that. And the kid did it. He put all of his concerns in the I hate this pile, and sure enough, every single one was sitting in circle time with other kids. So not only did we get his concerns put on the table, but we started to see the beginning of potential solutions. And so I guess what I'm I'm working on now for me personally in that growth continuum is getting this really exciting thing with the creativity of it, which is what really energizes me about collaborative problem solving. That's a great idea. As you were talking about that, Tom, I was kind of sitting here going, um, yeah, I've got a student very similar to that who's who's um, got some intellectual difficulties, and so he he's really has a hard time articulating. He'll just completely shut down, and you know we'll we'll be acting out, but won't be able to tell us what he's upset about. So we started playing this guessing game, and I kind of always felt like I was cheating somehow with me putting the concerns there and having him you know say yeah that's that's what I'm mad about or no that's not. But he can do it, like he'll nod or shake his head, but I always thought, you know, am I cheating? <laughs> so in a way, I'm glad to hear that, you know, it's okay to kind of support the style, like scaffold them into being able to come, like articulate their concerns rather than having to always get the full disclosure from them. So <laughs> that's good. Yeah, and the cool thing is, I just said, I, I'm stuck because I don't know your concern and I want to help. Can, you, can, can, can we figure it out? And, and sure enough, Ross, you'd love this. He just shrugged his shoulders. Yeah. So then I started to be more specific, but I did it in a, you know, my ed tech figured it out in a very concrete way. Now, many people who are new to Plan B at that point would freak, yeah. and they'd be thinking, yeah. "What am I doing wrong? How? What? Uh, what does it say that I should say?" And that's something that only comes with the confidence that comes with practice. Yeah. Um, you're probably not sitting there anymore thinking. You're not sitting there thinking, well, now this this is terrible. I I'm 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 messing this up. I I must be doing something wrong. Um, you're sitting there thinking, all right, I got a non-talker here. He's not <laughs> my first non-talker. Yep. He's not my first, and he won't be my last. So now, what am I going to do? Um, and I can be creative here, and I have faith in my creativity. Um, but I think that this kid's eventually going to talk. I just haven't figured out how to make that happen yet. Yeah. Well, and that you also are thinking that you really want to know, not that you go into the conversation thinking that you have the problem solved. So the child, even if they're not able to talk, understand you've created that sense of empathy and curiosity instead of, you know, something different. So that makes a difference. Well, and it's such a, you know, it's we are in different universes when it comes to the stance that a quote-unquote disciplinarian in a school is taking with a kid of any age in response to an unsolved problem. Um, There are so many things that go on in so many schools that are um, likely to cause kids not to talk to us, in which case we never figure out what's really getting in the kid's way, and we never solve it because the stage wasn't set for us to get that information in the first place. Um, it's just a, to me, it's just a completely different universe that takes us into a completely different realm with a kid. And the only question that I have is, why aren't more schools doing this yet? I want to answer, but I want to hear what other people say first. Why aren't well, other I think, schools doing it? <laughs> Is that the question? I, yeah. <laughs> I think that like the 
you know, I just remember my principal and I trying to, you know, we came in um, her first year as a principal um, and my first year at this school together and trying to figure out at a school where it's just her and I really doing the discipline and the um, problem solving and, you know, working with challenging kids as a partnership and going to lots of workshops on how to use rubrics with behavior and um, and trying that out in different circumstances and realizing that we never could follow through on the rubric. Nothing ever was so black and white that we could fit it in, but that I think the reason that people use it is because it seems nice and neat and it also might seem like it's solving the problem for that second, but then, it again, it backfires. So for us, it just was such an aha moment to hear about collaborative problem solving, reading about it. Everything just clicked with us, and and now it might take – it takes more – it could take more time at in the beginning, especially with children that are quite challenging. Um, but in the end, it saves a lot of time, and it, it changes the whole culture and climate of the school as well as uh, children and families. So it's just such it's such a big deal. And um, I think that's why schools aren't doing it is because of the quick fix approach, perhaps. Well, and I was going to say that part of uh, – part of what I see is is a roadblock to people is just the way that we were taught to be educators, which was a very behavioralistic approach, which sees the behavior as residing as it's the problem of the child or the, the parents or, you know, the behavior itself is such a, is the thing. So, you know, doing um, problem behavior questionnaires and functional behavioral analysis and all that kind of stuff, we're focusing on the behavior and even now, I mean, we still do referrals for kids to to get to access services by doing, you know, a behavioral um, inventory. And and but the the funny thing is that we know what behavior they're showing. We can see it every day. But what I think that's just the way that we we've been conditioned to to approach is is with a very behavioral theory approach. And so this is kind of a whole different theory behind it. And it's going to take time for that to become accepted, just like any you know, anything theoretical that's different from, you know, from what you were taught originally. So that's my that's my two cents. Yeah. Tom, you're on. Ah, well, it's just, it's so interesting because I, I've been thinking a lot about um, the motives for which people go into education. And I think that if your passion and your motive for working in education is to help children for whatever reason, then collaborative problem solving organically resonates with those people. I think that um, it, the, the implementation curve is a bit challenging because it is, I tell my staff, no real solution is easy. There's no such thing as a quick fix. Mm -hmm. There are practices that are healthy, that require time and attention, and you have to pay the price to reap the benefits of the hard work that comes from doing these things right. But I think if you love kids and you do this for the right reasons, then that, that time is it, it so quickly engages our passion. But I do think that there has to be skill and in, in some, some willingness to overcome obstacles to be effective at this model. Um, but I also think that, that, just, that, that if schools knew that um, they could implement it, that they would have support for implementing it as they reach touch hurdles, that that helps people to implement. So one thing teachers say to me is, I think it's great, but I just want to see it in action. And that can be a little tricky because getting videos and releases and things with this can be tricky. Um, but I think that the best 
proof is in the pudding when they try it in action and get results. So I had one teacher last year who for the first two months of the year was like, no, I don't know if this is really isn't working for me. They'd get stuck, and then they had three breakthrough conversations in two weeks and literally came to my office and said, I can't believe it. Not only does this work, but it works better than anything I've ever done. So I, I think that having someone in the building who's committed to it and passionate about it, they develop their skills and plant the seeds, get success from it, and then support others in doing it. That's really important. Yeah, now, we have two building leaders on our educators panel and one school counselor. Does it have to be, does the person who you're talking about have to be the school leader or the school counselor? Can you all, any of you, envision a scenario in which it would be a classroom teacher who's the impetus for CPS happening in a building? Can this can this really happen without, if not leaders leading the charge, then at least leaders um, devoted to the effort? Absolutely. It's all about the results. If one teacher takes it on and does incredible with it and kids are excelling, then other teachers organically get curious and their circle of influence increases. So as one person gets it, their circle of increase, influence increases to, to two or three other people. They start to talk about it and get results with it, and then it grows to three or four more. It could take on a life of its own. I think that any initiative in a building, if the principal or guidance staff are on board, it has. it's just easier to get it to happen. Yeah, and I would I, I would completely easier, agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, because All right. um, well, go ahead. I was just going to say because um, you know, in my experience, it's even more powerful when it comes from another person who's actually in the trenches teaching. Oftentimes, when an initiative comes from a, a school leader, it's less likely to be taken seriously because you know a lot of teachers are a bit fad tired and they've you know they see that it's just another initiative being brought in yada 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 i might you know i'm not that interested in it but when teachers hear other teachers talking about you know at the beginning of the year i was having so much trouble with this kid and then i started doing this and now he's i mean that's more powerful than anyone handing you a book or saying take a look at this video or you know let me tell you what i read about it's thousands of times more powerful i think especially with working with challenging children that's where teachers are really looking for the most help and support. So anything that would be successful with children that they have run out of ideas with, um, I think would be very powerful to hear the success, and that would lead to many more staff members trying it and hopefully administration coming on board, which I, I do think that would be a, be a big roadblock if that was um, somebody that wasn't supportive, but just shown that it works would cause that person to come on board as well, hopefully. Now, all of you are dealing with staff who are coming along more quickly than others and other staff who are coming along more slowly than others. Um, what are your observations about why, what makes it hard, what would cause a staff member in a school to come along slowly with this? What, what are the common things you all are seeing getting in their way? Oh, good question. I think it's um I think in my school it would be history because um I work in a school that's um very considered a high level inner city. 
Um, a lot of the staff members have been in the school for years and years, and they've worked with, you know, a really tough population for years and years. And they've always felt like they had to be tougher in order for the school to run. It was, you know, kind of a battle of toughness. And if we are tougher than the kids, then then we can, you know, turn the, turn the kids around. And, and to give up that... Um, that feeling of of being tough, they they see it almost as giving in, and so it's just kind of that that mindset of you know I've survived this long in an inner city school by being tough, and if I'm now going to give up being tough and be empathetic, then somehow it's a weakness. So that's that's what I've seen that that teachers are a bit reluctant to give up that toughness because they think they're giving power to the children rather than being able to have that authority and power still to make things happen. I think that it's uh, it goes back to what I said about um, motives, passion, and commitment, and also talent. I find that people who are here for the right reasons, motivated, talented, and excited about children, have no problem moving forward with this model. I think that people who struggle with um, um, change, or or um, and I say this sincerely that. There have been a lot of things that have come and gone over the years in education, and they've just been burned by that over and over again. And I think that it, it, it really can turn some people off, that it takes time to learn this and do it right. But again, the, the price is so worth it that usually if enough people in the building go with it, the other people start coming along. And um, we're right in the mid-implementation mid phase. We've got you know, a few people who are really running with it in my building, and we've got a few people who are getting their feet wet, and we've got some people who aren't working on it as much, and that's okay. It's kind of like uh, um, um, I'm lucky because in this building, people's hearts are in the right place. I think it's really hard when you're in a building where people's hearts are are not always at work. They're kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'll go to work, I'll do my job, I've done this, I've seen all these kids come and go for a number of years or even just a few years if they're if they're not in the right space. I think that lens piece is really important, Ross. You you said, yeah, uh, I have a. Well, go ahead. Uh, well, let me ask Tom oh, one question real quick. Sure. People who are in the building for the right reason, what is the right reason? You believe the kids do well if they can. Mm-hmm. And you you know so that, like, okay, you know, so, like, that could come off as really cheesy, but it's the truth, Ross. You have well, to believe I, in the I, kids or, or you're going to be... Cheesy, but... No, but you know what I'm saying, right? That, that kids do well if they can, and if your heart is in it and you believe that, then schools are really incredible place to work. I mean, we, there are miracles that occur in schools. Kids' lives change, and I think we talk a lot about what schools don't do. I've been seeing a lot of what schools do do. Mm. Wait, I didn't say do do. <laughs> <laughs> the but schools do well, Ross. Well, you're, you're, you're consistent with our theme. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. This is about mentality mostly, because kids do all if they can is a philosophy, and what you seem to be saying is that that philosophy extends as well to academics. Yep. It's not a philosophy. It is a philosophy, but it's a way of thinking that informs every decision that you make when you're here for the right reasons. Yep. And that family. Sometimes I think people just lose sight of those reasons. Right, they get caught up in the minutia. They get caught up in the, I've got to, you know, meet these standards and give this assessment and mm-hmm. do this, and they they kind of lose sight of what's the the kids. Right, it becomes about data and success and 
and progress and, and they forget about these little people that we are entrusted with every day that it's our job to mentor and help them grow. And I think it's, it's unfortunately, people can lose sight of it. Nina, I cut you off earlier. I'm just fascinated by Carol saying that because schools are so into these days, um, documentation and um, quantification in particular, and, you know, I'm not allergic to quantification, but I've always felt that quantification reduced kids to sort of percentiles. Yep. And... um, the whole human element is getting lost, it seems to me, when we move away from not only kids do all if they can, but this kid would do well if he could. But, Nina, let me uh, – I don't want to jump in there. Let me – you were going to say something earlier. I was, at our school, I think that uh, sometimes a setback is if we see some children that are extremely challenging and a little more visible in the school, it um, – might look to some staff members as if the model of collaborative problem solving isn't working. Uh, And that's what we've been focusing a lot on is this is not for just our most extremely challenging children right now. It's for all all children as well as children that are just having um, different sorts of unsolved problems such as being able to sit, sit in time or being able to play a game with another child or other issues as well since we've been trying to switch that focus a little more, our more teachers are understanding the model and um, coming on board. So that's something maybe unique to our school. But. Well, and what's amazing is I, I know some of the kids in your building because I've been yeah. there a few times. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was having a conversation with someone last week um, about what it means to be successful with a challenging kid. Because um, success is a uh, construct that is pegged to each individual kid. And I know that this is not how we quantify in a lot of education settings. We quantify based on how an entire school is doing. We quantify based on how a classroom is doing on a particular high-stakes test. But challenging kids challenge that because um, they – are lagging behind, they are lacking crucial skills, and success has to be determined, and, and you know, this is tough for legislators as well because they sort of mandate what's supposed to work for everybody, but success with a challenging kid is a different playing field and is defined individually for each kid, and what just hit me over the head by what you said was that you still have kids walking around in your building who they know you're working with and you're doing collaborative problem solving with, and, you know, if the definition of working is that the kid doesn't look like everybody else yet, then uh, collaborative problem solving is not working. But if if on that kid's exactly. own baseline, he has made dramatic strides and um, he's really moving forward and development is moving forward, you know, I'm not exactly sure what anybody's definition of success is, but that's success. That's yeah. working. Go ahead, Nina. Just those small successes, because that's exactly right. We could have a, a challenging kid that we've been doing Plan B with for 
you know, over last year and this year as well and could be such a successful six six hours and maybe a two-minute um, trouble at recess, which, of course, is more visible. And it's, you know, we're not out there celebrating all those successes as much as we should, and it's it does misrepresent what what we're doing and what we're working on and brings us back as a team to focus on the successes is is really powerful for us to be um discussing that and and make and giving us a reality check as well as okay this is working it was a wonderful day look at all all the successes this child had he was in the classroom he was um telling me what he is thinking and there might have been one problem at recess but that doesn't mean that we need to throw in the towel Carol, you have 15 seconds for the final soundbite before the closing music starts. Okay. Well, for me, success is when those kids keep coming back every day. You know what? They're getting up. I had one student. He's been such a challenge. He is new to the school. He's been in 15 schools. He got up early, got himself to school. He'd slept over at a friend's house. He came here on his own in the morning. That's how I know we're having some success with him. I'm afraid to say... We are done for today. I love our new educators panel. Thanks to all three of you. I can't wait to see you next month. For the rest of you, I'll be back with Anytown High School in two weeks. Have a nice Thanksgiving in Canada. Happy Columbus Day in the U.S. Bye-bye.